This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7, 365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. In Human Capital Group's latest interview, Paul Kincaid, former head of training and development for the British Army, looks at the process of unfurloughing in the house building and construction industry. As an organisation, the military has abundant experience at effectively bringing troops out of hibernation and training them back up ready for action as efficiently and safely as possible. Paul, who's the owner of training consultancy Selfless Leadership, answers questions about the physical and mental aspect of reintegrating staff who have been absent for a long time, how leaders should address employee concerns, helping them adapt quickly and easily to a new normal, and identifying those who will need extra support and how to offer it. This podcast was recorded as part of a webinar series for the House Builder Business Resilience Hub and can be found at www.hc-group.co.uk. Hello and welcome from the Human Capital Group Search and Selection and the House Builder Business Resilience Hub. I was posed a rhetorical question a few weeks back from a chairman of a large national house builder and I, and I quote, a difficult bit is starting up again and it's hard to see how we're going to go from a lockdown then flat out in a short period of time. Now, I don't think anyone in house building really knows, as very few would have experienced unfurloughing or bringing people back on such a large scale previously. So look, in my experience, we need to go and model people, businesses and organisations who have experience of our problem. So I thought a good place to start would be the military. The military has centuries of experience and lessons learned in how to effectively bring troops out of hibernation, get them trained back back up, and then get them back into action as efficiently and as safely as possible. Now, with me to help us understand how the Army does it and how you can adopt it in your business is Paul Kincaid, a head of ex-head of training and development for the British Army and now owner of the Selfless Leadership Training Company. Welcome, Paul. Hey, Gerard. Thanks very much for having me. It's good to be able to build on our, on our last webinar, actually. As always, if anybody has any questions that they'd like to be answered, then look, please send them in and we'll make sure that they get answered separately after the webinar. Paul, please start us. You know, where, where do we begin with, with, with such a, a big subject? I think there are huge synergies. The, the military is, is constantly preparing troops to deploy overseas on operations, and each operational deployment is a new environment with new threats, new rules of engagement, i.e. when people can or cannot pull the trigger and, and do the pointy end stuff, new living conditions, new working conditions, and potentially even new clothing and new, new PPE, You know, much like people are facing now, PPE was the phrase that not many people knew sort of three months ago, and now it's everybody's aware of it. So there are huge synergies with, with unfurloughing of, of staff, I think. But also, and perhaps unexpectedly, there are also synergies with reintegrating of troops. So when people have been away on furlough, we can learn lessons from how to bring them back in, because every time a unit deploys on operations, there's a group of people who 
basically stay at home and hold the fort, so to speak. So they carry on the normal business, business as usual, steady state stuff at home. The army calls them the rear party because, you know, one unit deploys forward, the other part of the unit stays stays back in the rear. And the reintegration of those deployed troops, we can learn lessons as well because obviously there are organisations who haven't furloughed everybody and there will be staff who have been in the office or even, you know, out on site holding the fort, so to speak. In terms of, there are two kind of real key aspects, though, that we're looking at in terms of bringing people out who have been out for the, the long term in terms of like their, their physical ability. Yeah, and, there are two elements, you know, the physical that you just mentioned, and then there's the psychological as well. Now, obviously, you know, whenever we deploy our operations, we have to deploy within a framework of policy, you know, legal constraints, political constraints, and all those various different boundaries within which we've got to operate. And exactly the same is true in the home building industry with there is policies, regulations, advice and guidance from the government in a charter for safe working practice and the Construction Leadership Council. So companies are already producing their own policies and boundaries within which they've got to operate. And obviously that's having an impact and it does have an impact on capacity, capability, you know, in industry, the ability to meet targets while still maintaining quality. And the same thing is true in the military, that you've got to maintain the highest quality, regardless of what the operating conditions are. And so if I sort of move to the physical element first, then what we do, we train people to deploy for quite a long time beforehand. And of course, if we don't have that luxury, some units go not very much notice. And there may be some people in, the, in those units who perhaps aren't as fit as they might be. And the synergy there is that people have been off on furlough for a long period of time. They haven't been doing the work that they normally do, be that in the office or on site. And I guess the physical probably plays more comfortably into the, the people who work on site more so than the office, although there are linkages, of course. But even with people coming back into the office, they're, I don't know whether it's the commercial guy or whatever. You know, he, he's got to get back up to speed and using the systems and, and everything like that. So his skills are diminished as well. And, and that needs to be taken into account. Yeah, absolutely. So there's fitness fade, physical fitness fade. And there's sort of skill fade as well, if, if you like. And I, I'll hit sort of both of those. As I was thinking about this, this webinar, it struck mm. me that when, when people have been off work for a period of time, we go on holiday for two weeks and we don't really notice the fitness fade or the skill fade there and we come back to work and it's it's okay. We've been off work, potentially some of us, for months and months. And therefore, the physical jobs that we used to be able to do without really considering it, they're going to be a bit of a dig out now. We're going to have to work hard. We may not be able to lift the same amount of weight that we could do. Jobs that used to take two hours might now take a little bit longer because we've got to do two trips to get the same amount of kit or we might just not be able to work at the same pace that we used to. And we see this on operations. We do acclimatization. When anyone deploys overseas, the soldiers need to acclimatize to the new environment. And so they're not put back onto work at 100% as soon as they get there. There's a number of days, be it accelerated acclimatization or, or a more prolonged, luxurious period. Building companies might not have that. House building companies and home building companies might not have that time. but we really do need to consider the fact that jobs are likely to take longer and mm -hmm. therefore it's 
leadership function to expect that, to plan for that, and perhaps more importantly, communicate to those personnel who are coming back to work that we almost expect it to take longer. And if it does, that's okay. Just let us know so then we can plan plan accordingly. Because the last thing we want is someone who used to be able to pick up, I don't know, 200 kilos of something or other, now can't do that. They try and do it and snap their back. And now they're off for longer. And, you know, the various riddle reporting mechanisms that, you know, some people may not be aware of what riddle is. Because I know you've got some American clients who listen to these as well. And in the UK, it's called reporting of injuries, diseases and dangerous occurrence regulations. So if there's an accident, there's a reporting chain and a, and a necessary evil that goes with it that we have to do. And we try and minimise that. So in order to minimise it, let's be aware of the potential issue of injury and fitness fade that it brings injury on in the first instance. The other side, it w- which I mentioned a moment ago, is skill fade. If we've not been doing a job for some period of time, we might forget elements of it. We might not you know, be as aware of the little details that we did a second nature before. And, you know, we're approaching, what is it, three months now we've been locked down. Some people will forget things, especially the more junior members of teams, perhaps apprentices or people new to trade or people new to your organisation might not remember all of the policies, processes and, you know, systems that were in place. So it's really important that we remind people that it's okay to ask questions rather than just cuff it and try and work around it. So... Again, it's a leadership function. We've we've got to get close to people and let them know that, do you know what? If you have forgotten how to do something, just ask. That's what site managers are there for. That's what assistant site managers, it's what, you know, various more senior personnel, office managers, it's what department heads are there for to to go and ask questions of. Just back on the fitness side of things, I'm thinking, you know, how would house builders make sure that they're, their troops, their site managers, their site staff, whatever it might be, come back in better shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, how long have you got? Yeah, um, you know. It takes a long time to, to build up, of course, but the, the best way of doing that is communicate as early as possible and as much as possible when we expect people to return to work. Give them as much notice as possible. And within that communication, We need to let them know that they are likely to have faced a fitness fade. Uh, Therefore, you know, they should probably do some functional training to try and get themselves back into the same physical condition as they were when when they went on furlough. I think that if we start to get inside people's heads and let them know that this is a possibility... Then if you want to come back to work and do a good job, then you then you're going to do that functional training. And individuals are sensible, they know they know what they need to do. Of course, you're going to have the odd individual go, no, I'll be all right. And those are the ones who we're going to have to keep an eye on everybody. So I read an article recently where Barrett Homes have social distancing marshals on site now. And we used to do that on patrol. If an explosion goes off on patrol, you can't be too close to one another. Otherwise, everyone gets injured and that's no use to anybody. And the same principle applies on site uh, and in the office now. We need sort of social distancing marshals to say, hey, Without any judgment, and that's important, is we don't you know, give people a bit of a disciplinary talking to. It's, hey, listen, two metres is there for a reason. And just gently remind people of those regulations that are in place and that they're for everyone's good and benefit. And ultimately, as we're looking at you know, end-of-year targets, 
are going to take a hit. So let's not give them an artificial hit by getting within two metres and perhaps having to be off for a further 14 days because we may or may not have got infected. So, you know, let's, let's stay tight to the regulations that are in place and they're there for good reason. And the same is true of the military. You know, we don't get too close when we patrol because if the worst happens, we don't want lots of people injured. We need to look after the one or two who are injured with everybody else. So this is, you know, because there's, there's, there's quite a lot going on in the industry at, at, at the moment. You've got the new home ombudsman coming in. The sites are going to be down to, uh, let's say, 60% of capacity. It's half-year targets to be here or end-of-year targets for some companies to be here as well. And, you know, the, the, the targets, you know, the quality still has to be there. What, how do you address that as the, the leaders within the business? Is it accepting that, that these are real problems and that productivity is, is going to be down? It depends on what the critical part for the leadership is. And if that is quality, and why wouldn't it be? It's really important to over-communicate the fact that we're after the quality here. So if right. you have experienced skill fade, stick your hand up right at the start. And non-judgmentally, I'll say that again, we need to help you to get back to the skill set you are in order that quality doesn't take a hit. Equally, fitness. We haven't mentioned the psychological effects of of unfurloughing people yet, but the physical and the skill fade are important because they have a direct impact on quality. And the same is true in, in the military. If someone isn't up to the right standard, then the quality of that soldier is diminished and therefore the quality of the unit is diminished. And that's going to have an impact. So it's everyone's job to make sure that everyone else is up to the right standard. And if we can gently call one another out, where quality is, rather than the leadership saying, hey, you know, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. If we can do it as peers, you know, if your mate on site or in the office says, hey, listen, we need to be two metres apart, you're going to take that much better than if your boss says, hey, you've got to be two metres apart, because that's going to start to play on your head. Am I in trouble now? You know, the boss has noticed me for a, for something that's not good. And that starts to play on our minds. Much better that a mate in wherever environment you work in says, hey, Gerard, you know, I know we're back at work and it's easy to click back into old habits, but don't forget we've got to be two metres apart here. That's is the that, easiest way to do it. Is that ingrained in the, in the British Army, that kind of peer-to-peer education? Yeah. Yeah, people call each other out all the time. You know, there's a lot of what we banter around it, you know, and an, an external witness might look at it and, and say it's, you know, it's quite harsh. But the the level at which it's done, you know, it's, it's often a joke in it. You know, hey, don't, I won't go into the levels of the, the joking, obviously, here, but don't get too close. And, and it's just that constant reminder of when you can and can't do things. It's not all jocular, of course. There are serious times when we need to remind ourselves of, when we can and can't pull the trigger. And the same is true in any environment in the world, in any working environment. We need to remind each other what the boundaries are, what the freedoms are, and what the constraints are. And that's dead easy for us to do with our mates who we work with on a regular basis. And it's also very easy to click back into old habits. You know, we've been at home, we've been furloughed for months, it would be very easy to get back into a very familiar working environment and click back into those very familiar old habits. There are smokers around who go to the smoking area, which is now 
going to have to be much bigger, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the small smoking hut, it probably isn't that much more than two metres apart. So you can't go there and have a smoke and a chat. You've got to, I mean, arguably, productivity would go up, go out and smoke and come back. But it's these little considerations, isn't it, of do we need one-way systems around the office? Do we have an up flight of stairs and a down flight of stairs? In the military, we often have one-way systems to ensure that even in the dark, we know which way to go and we're not going to meet someone the other way and create noise and excitement where, frankly, we don't want to be, people to know we're there. Just back to the skill phase, is there, you know, ways to get people reskilled, whatever, quicker, more efficiently? Is, is there any technique or is it really yeah. just a case of people back I- in? I think there are, you know, we anticipate what that's likely to be in, in an office environment. That skill fade is likely to be around systems, IT, things like that. So we can create online learning packages and get people to, you know, start to do some learning before they come back to work, perhaps, if those are in the regulations of furlough. And I'm not sure whether they are or not, but, you know, that's for other people to decide whether that's in the regulations. If not, maybe unfurlow them a week before, come back in and say, right, for this week, you're not going to do any work. You're just going to do the training. You're going to learn and revise all the systems that we used to do. Uh, And the same on site. You're going to come back in for a a couple of days. You're not going to work on site. You're going to listen uh, and read the policy that we're going to send out to you or the site manager will give you a briefing, those type of things. It comes down, Gerard, to communicate, communicate, communicate. We've got to over-communicate these new regulations in a non-aggressive, non-judgmental way so that it just gets into our heads. We're only human. We're going to make mistakes. And so rather than hide those, better that we get called out in a friendly way or even better that we admit it and go, oh, Christ, you know what? I I shouldn't have done that. Or I've got a bill fade. Or do you know this job? I'm getting knackered really early on in the day. I might need whatever I need, but, you know, to identify the fact that that job might take a little bit longer. So I think that's probably the physical, the physical elements. The, the psychological is really important. It's something that interests me is that mm. lots of people have been furloughed. Lots of those people are really keen to get back to work and start working again, not least of which. So they start getting 100 percent paid, let, let's be honest, but also to get away from. The constraints, we're all getting a little bit tired, probably, of being at home all the time. It'd be nice to get back to work, see mates, get out into the fresh air or or back into the office and just get back into a a routine. So for those people, and they're going to be the majority, that's great. But there are an element of people that we really need to consider who are going to be remarkably anxious about coming back to work. And we can second guess the questions they're going to have. And they're very similar to to troops who are going to deploy overseas. There is anxiety with going into conflict because you might not come back. What happens if I get injured? Are you going to be back okay back at home if I go away for six months? And the same anxieties are true with people being unfurloughed. They're not likely to be away for six months, but we've been at home. We've been okay together all this time. Are you going to be all right if I now go back to work? So there are worries at home, but there are worries around, you know, what, are the procedures good enough? Am I going to get infected? What if I'm yeah. new to an organisation and I know I've got skill fade? You know, I'd only just been onboarded and now I've been furloughed for longer than the onboarding took. So how am I going to remember all those things? It is absolutely critical that leadership 
identify these anxieties and put control measures in place. And they might be a morning briefing. It might be the sort of toolbox briefings, socially distanced, of course, and, and you know, welcoming people onto site, whereby we communicate, over-communicate. Things might take a bit longer. Don't forget there's hand-washing stations all over the place. In the office, those doors that aren't fire doors, we're now propping them open so that you don't have to touch them. And, of course, this level of communication can be sent out to people who are in the process of being unfurloughed to try and give them peace of mind. And that's exactly the same as deploying troops. They get briefings on health and safety, on what to expect, on how clean the water is, to how to talk to local people, cultural implications. Now, see, that's Mm. not quite the same in the home building industry. But what if I have forgotten things? What if I'm not up to it anymore? What control measures will be in place? We can answer all of those questions before people come back and reinforce them all of the time when we are back. It doesn't take the brains of an architect to work out what the anxieties are going to be. I guess we can guess a lot of the anxieties that are going to come up, but what leaders think of the anxieties and what often are the actual anxieties some sometimes you know slightly different so you know i know some of my clients have handed out questionnaires etc to to find out what the employee thinks rather than what the employer thinks and then it's just about that continual communication from all different forms of communication meetings intranets whatever it you know emails is that what you kind of condoning within the british army is that that's what's absolutely no i mean perhaps i've I've been slightly heavy on the over communicate and and suggested it sounds a bit one way but yeah anyway it's got to be we're on a webinar everyone in the world is now aware of zoom and skype and all sorts of things why not get five or ten people who are being unfurloughed on a webinar on a zoom call and say listen what are your worries and yeah it might take a little bit of time for one or two of them to open up but as soon as one does everyone else will go for it you know, it's human nature. As soon as someone shares a vulnerability, other people have vicariously got permission to do the same thing. So, yes, absolutely, it has to be two-way. Questionnaires are great because there's a safety to it. You can just write down the answer and send it back. May or may not be anonymous. There are, you know, all sorts of portals that could be used, chat sites to say, look, what are your concerns? Raise them here and we'll try and address them in, in communications back. And when you come back on site, be that the building site and construction site or the office site. The site is irrelevant. People will have anxieties. So, yeah, that's a great challenge. We need to be two-way about these things. And the units in the military have very, very two-way communication. And the best leaders identify the fact that ideas and, and worries can come from anywhere. Just on that note, it was one of my clients who had raised something and they they talked about you know, the guys who have been at work this whole time are, you know, sometimes thinking that the chaps are at home, sitting, enjoying the lovely weather, which we've been having, having a, 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 a big, a, you know, a big sort of holiday, et cetera. And, and what, what's kind of come out with some of the conversations which we've had as well is that those people are carrying guilt about being at home and not being part of the team. And, you know, and it's so some of the things we think are obvious, uh, people are experiencing something quite different. Definitely. Yeah. You you know, you've hit the nail on the head and there's a direct synergy with that rear party that I spoke about earlier on. 
the majority of the unit have deployed overseas and they're doing that operational job, mission, whatever it is they've got to do. And occasionally we face in a rear party people feeling guilty that they haven't deployed, especially if the people away are unfortunately receiving injuries and the like of stuff that we saw recently, you know, within mem- living memory in Afghanistan. Some people in the rear party are thinking, it's almost survivor guilt. I, I should be there. I shouldn't be back here doing doing the good stuff. And there will be people on furlough thinking, this isn't, I'm being paid 80% or, or you know, two and a half thousand pounds a month, whatever the, it is. And they'll be feeling guilty that they're not working for that. Equally, there will be huge anxieties around being furloughed because we all have financial responsibilities that we need to meet. Living at home together in in what is a constrained space, even if you're living in a palace, it's still not normal. People on each other's toes. I'm speaking from personal experience here that, you know, it can get a little bit uncomfortable when you're tied up at home all the time and, and not going to work and sharing your space and the, you know, your thoughts with work colleagues because you've got nowhere to vent. You know, we go to work, don't we, occasionally and say, God, you wouldn't believe what happened last night at home. And that's our opportunity to vent. We're a pressure cooker now. We don't have that opportunity. So, I mean, that's slightly tongue in cheek, although, you know, people are experiencing that. Yes, there are anxieties. We're coming back to work and, and it's up to leaders and everybody to be aware of it. And it's that good military phrase I think we might have used on our last webinar as well, actually, which is absence of the normal and presence of the abnormal. And if someone turns up to work who used to be, you know, really keen and, and you know, very professional and, you know, clean shaven, well turned out, and they're turning up not like that, yeah. then if, if you sense that that is abnormal, the presence of the abnormal, you need to decide as a friend, as a colleague, as a leader, when to step in and say, are you okay? Because mm-hmm. some people are going to struggle with coming back to work and it's up to all of us to look after those people. Equally, hold some people back. You know, some people will have been furloughed and are so keen to get back, they'll be absolutely smashing it. They'll be getting all over the place and potentially risking themselves and others in that enthusiasm to get back in and get the job done. So not only do we need people freedoms to come back to work, we also need to keep them aware of the constraints and perhaps call call the odd person back and pull the lead back a little bit. You know, I just want to go back to this, you know, the, the targets that have to be here with half year and, and end of year targets and the ombudsman coming in and, you know, the, the quality of the work really will have to be there. Just, you know, all that, there, there is so much extra pressure at the moment. It's just, it's not just the case of people being unfurloughed. There's additional layers which were being brought in anyway. And it's, I guess, companies understanding there are going to be difficulties in hitting their targets, which which they set at the end of the year. But accepting it, accepting it, and but the guys at the top and the guys in the middle and some at the bottom as well, you know, find it difficult to accept when game plans have changed. There, yeah, when 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 what we what we're playing with ultimately has completely changed, and it's just going back to that. I don't know if I have a point here, but it's getting the leaders to understand that quickly, which they possibly have, and then getting the staff to adapt really quickly to a new way of working. And we've been talking about it, but communication, communication. 
I don't know if you've got anything else to, to add on that, because I, I just see extra pressure being added. And you're right. And, you know, that pressure is going to be felt pretty much everywhere, mm-hmm. but particularly at site manager, project manager, project controls and department head areas, because they're going to be, you know, their thumb screws going to be on to try and meet the targets. People beat themselves up as well when targets are there. And yet we need to probably sit back and be a little bit more relaxed about it, adopt a more agile mindset of, well, look, we're not going to get there, but let's let's get as close as we possibly can whilst maintaining the quality to the targets that we have. And I think probably, you know, this is a bit of a mind read now, a bit of a crystal ball moment, but I would imagine the more successful companies are those that are going to be a little more relaxed about targets and end of year figures. Yes, they're important. I'm not suggesting they're not at all. But if we just take the foot off the gas a little bit and relieve some of the pressure, because we're all adults, we know what the pressure is, we know where the targets are, we know what we've got to meet. So if you stop asking me every five minutes how close I am to the target, I'm probably going to get an awful lot closer than having to stop and answer questions all the time. So I think that's what I would say really is that with the client base that I've got, you know, what I quite who are heavily regulated quite often, those that are aware that the regulations are there, those that are aware that the targets are there, but don't constantly beat the target drum, actually get an awful lot closer. And then just finally, I think finally from my point of view, we've got, uh, and we discussed this offline beforehand, but you were talking about there's two types of character that, that we need to be aware of, but we need to motivate and how to do it? Uh, yeah. So what's the best way of putting it? The, the motivation of people when, they, when they're in the workplace, whether they've been there all the time, not on furlough, um, or whether they're coming back to work as furloughed, that's not the breakdown of the two people. But motivation is a key factor. And lots of leaders get caught up in how do I motivate my people? And we go back to Maslow and all sorts of different motivational mechanisms. But there's emergent thinking now around it's not the leader's job to actively motivate. It's our job to identify what motivates our staff and our team and -hmm. provide more of that, which I guess vicariously is motivating them. But the two big pots of people, and one is significantly bigger than the other, is people who are motivated by opportunity. You know, they seek an opportunity. Somewhat, something is presented. You know, we spoke about targets a moment ago. We could get within 10% of the target. And lots of people will go, yeah, brilliant. Right, let's work really hard to try and get within 10%. And then we come across the other pot of people who are labelled. The easiest way of understanding it is like a pain avoiders. But you say, right, we're going to get within 10% of the targets. Let's go. And they'll go, well, hang on just a second. Let's be a little bit cautious. Let's not rush in because if we increase the pace, we could increase the injury, we increase risk. And then there's reputational risk to the company. If we don't meet that, you know, if we advertise we can get within 10% of the target and we don't make it, there's reputational risk. The ombudsman could get involved or, or whatever that might be. So opportunity, most people are excited by opportunity and they'll go for it and there'll be an enthusiasm that motivates them and a drive inside them. But let's not look at the people who are motivated by the avoidance of pain as a bad thing because actually they can keep our feet on the ground. 
They can make us aware of issues that in our excitement to achieve that shiny end state, we may not have considered. So we need to sort of celebrate both groups of people, really, and listen when the pain avoiders say, hang on a second, what about this? Because yes, as a leader, you may have considered it and you can say, great point, Gerard, thanks very much. And we're going to do that, that and that to mitigate that risk. Great. Thanks very much. That person is then on board and motivated to achieve the target. But they might come up with something that you hadn't considered. In which case, as the leader, I can say, Gerard, that's a great point. We're going to take a couple of days to work something out and then we'll come back to you. Or, Gerard, that's a great point. How do you think we overcome that? How do we mitigate against that risk? Because if they're thinking it, they're already way ahead of you if you haven't thought of it. So get them on board with a solution. So those are the two groups of people, opportunistic and opportunity hunters looking after shiny things, the magpies, and, yeah. and the pain of others who are not Eeyores by any stretch. These are very valuable people to have on a team. From me, you kind of covered everything which I wanted to discuss. I know that there's, there's other people out, out there who can talk about the physical practicalities of getting a site operational or getting an, an office operational with two-metre divides and, and sanitizers and, and all of that. And, and we weren't looking to cover that area in here. We were looking to cover really, oh, this is the psychological side of bringing people back. Is there anything that you would like to, to close on? I just reinforce the key messages, you know, communicate both ways and communicate all of the time. Make sure we're approachable as a leadership team and be prepared to listen non-judgmentally and, and remind people non-judgmentally. Because as soon as we start to judge, that's when things get hidden and we can't afford for you know things to be hidden at the moment and potentially create bigger problems downstream. We need to be transparent and people focused at the moment, not reward focused. Fantastic. Well, look, um, that was fantastic, Paul, as was the last webinar, which we did as well. Once again, if anybody wants to get in contact with Paul directly, you can email me direct at gerard at hc-group.co.uk. Also, I'll be following this up with an email and I'll uh, supply Paul's details and contact details in that, if that's okay with you, Paul. And equally, we will be following up with an email questionnaire and also a direct phone call because your, your, your feedback to people who have listened is really essential if we're going to keep continuing um, and developing the house builder business resilience hub. But thank you very much for your time. Have a nice day. Stay safe. All the best. Bye-bye. Discover how to build your UK house builder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms automation and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK house building industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.